So this is the moment where we try and like pick ourselves off the floor, slightly regain our, our Britishness as uh, <clears throat> Mark's going to come bring our Bible readings today. Our first reading this morning is from Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 33. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, so as to present the church to himself in splendor, without a spot or wrinkle, or anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Because we are members of his body, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I'm applying it to, the, to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. And our second reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. I feel a divine jealousy for you. For I promised you in marriage to one husband to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by its cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you um, accepted, you submit to it readily enough. I think I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles. I may be untrained in speech, but not in knowledge. Certainly in every way. Uh, Father, thank you. What a joy it is to be in your presence, where there are pleasures at your right hand forevermore. And we just say thank you, thank you. We wouldn't be anywhere else. We open our hearts to you now, Holy Spirit. I pray, let my words be forgotten, and with your word resound in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Timings-wise, if you've got children, you need to collect them at 12.45. Uh, so I'm going to speak for a few moments, and we'll see where we get to. If you're joining us for the first time, or you weren't here a week ago, I'm sharing at the top of 2022 on a particular aspect of the nature of God, which I think the Spirit is wanting to draw our attention to right now. And that's Jesus as our bridegroom, and as uh, a flow-off from that, our identity as the bride of Christ, as the church. And I was talking a week ago about the Father's dream, where the whole of history is going, 
The father's dream is a prepared bride for his son, Jesus. And we're his dream. Which is astonishing when you think about it. We're the dream the father has in mind for his son to be united together forever and ever and ever and rule and reign on the new earth and in the new heavens after Jesus finally and fully sets everything right at the end of time. That's where everything is going. We are the father's dream for his bridegroom. And consequently, let's let our dream not be something we can do, not be something that we can achieve, but let's let our dream be him. And today, um, I'd love to just start by giving you um, a picture. Can you imagine, for a few moments, uh, being a guest at a wedding? And everybody's got ready, they've put on their finery, they're wearing their fine clothes, and you arrive for the ceremony. And everybody's pumped. Uh, The bridegroom is prepared. He's at the front of the church. All the guests take their places. Everybody's looking splendid and magnificent. There's excitement in the air. There's nervous anticipation in the air. Everybody knows that something holy and good is about to happen. And then the moment arrives. The bride enters and every eye turns toward her. The bridegroom looks longingly, yearningly, his heart burning, ready to receive his bride. And as she advances towards him, suddenly there's something wrong. Her eyes flicker to various guests in the congregation. It's obvious she has history with them. There's a knowing, unclean look exchanged between several of the guests. There's obvious attachments from her heart. She looks to and fro. There's cunning, sly glances. And the one place she doesn't look is towards her bridegroom. It's obvious to everyone there, something's not right. Because her heart is spread across a multiplicity of lovers. That's a horrible image. I think that's one of the pictures Paul had in mind in 2 Corinthians 11. You've got a Bible, please open it. 2 Corinthians 11. I'm also going to be referring to Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 1. If you haven't brought your Bible, it's all right. We're going to meet this time next week. You can bring it then. I think this is what Paul had in mind writing to the church in Corinth, modern-day Turkey, 2,000 years ago. And Paul says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. He knows this is going to be a challenging word. I feel a divine jealousy, a good jealousy, a godly jealousy for you. He's writing to the church. For I promised you in marriage to one husband 
to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. A chaste virgin, unspoiled, undefiled, clean, pure, holy. A chaste virgin. He's speaking to the church and he's saying, I I promised you to Christ that you'd have one husband, not have a divided heart, not have a multiplicity of lovers, but one husband, Christ. This is the vision in Ephesians 5, from which we derive some help with marriage relationships. But really what Paul's talking about, as we heard in verse 32, is Christ and the church. That's the the teaching of the passage. Um, But Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, if you flick over, Christ loved the church, verse 25, and gave himself up for her. He's talking about Jesus' sacrifice 2,000 years ago. Why did Jesus sacrifice himself? Verse 26, in order to make her, the church, holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, so as, why is this? So as to present the church to himself in splendor, without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. When you gave your life to Jesus, you became part of Jesus' bride. And Paul is talking to Corinth and he's saying, I'm, I'm burning with divine jealousy that you would, you would be like a, a chaste virgin married only to Christ. And where all of history is going is that there's going to be a prepared bride who comes in equal union with the Son to rule and reign together on the earth. But Paul's saying, I want you to be there now. I want you to get there quicker, that you would be a chaste virgin, pure, holy, without blemish, without any spot or wrinkle for Jesus, your bridegroom. Now, Paul then, in 2 Corinthians 11, goes on to, um, basically, goes on, or let's read it. Verse 3, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by its cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul sharpens this and, and says, I want you to be a chaste virgin, But where the battleground is, is in your thoughts. Because it's where your thoughts become polluted that that dilutes your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We all know what it's like to sing out of discipline and have our mind wandering about whatever. And Paul's saying, I'm, I'm afraid that your thoughts are being led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We find ourselves at the beginning of 2022 living in a day and age where there is an intrusion into our thoughts like never before and it's in a small device that we all carry around with us and potentially look at in the morning before we even go to the toilet. In the day and age we live in, there is no neutral ground 
Because the world is seeking to disciple you and I in the value systems that the world has. Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 12. He says, brothers and sisters, live as living sacrifices. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this, but be transformed by the renewing of your... It's the same theme. He's saying there's a mold coming from the world, squeezing us into its pattern. And what he's saying is to be a chaste virgin to Christ, we need to pay attention to our thoughts. Because that's where the key battleground is. Now we're going to come back to that in a few moments. But Paul then goes on to say that I'm concerned that there's a slight other gospel that's been proclaimed or another Jesus And then he goes on to to defend his credentials. And he goes on to defend his credentials because there's other voices coming into the church there seeking to just slightly change what he has laid down as their founding father. And he goes on in 2 Corinthians 11 and into chapter 12 defending his, his credentials. And it's a good read because if you ever came under the seduction that Love Jesus and your life will be wonderful. Well, it gets shredded in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. Because Paul says, I'm the the best of apostles and I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten with rods. I've been lashed with the whip. I've had sleepless nights. I've gone without food. You know, and, and all of that qualifies me to tell you that I'm carrying this thing, not because I'm awesome, but because it's really his glory that it's all about. Now, would we have been coming under a different gospel? Well, I want to just apply this in a particular area. I'm going to do this by looking at the first letter of Peter, which is a couple of letters on. So if you've got your Bible, flick forward to 1 Peter chapter 1. Is everyone okay? I've got to say, I'm afraid this is not entertainment Christianity this morning. On 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, we've got a similar theme. Peter's writing to the Christians and he says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he's revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Peter's not talking about don't come under the ways of the world, he's saying, don't be like you were before. The desires you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. One of the four marks that makes a church that Christians have believed ever since Jesus is that the church is called to be holy. We believe, says the Apostles' Creed, in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. And yet I would say in my life, every time I've pressed into holiness, there's been mockery or a despising often by other members of the church. I mean, do you remember when we were at Bible college and stuff? 
you know, um, to press into the Lord, to fast and pray, to give time to him, to, to not do some of the things of the world, you know, we couldn't believe it, could we? We were like mocked and scorned for that. Sorry, my voice is just breaking. Scorned for that. Now, one of, the, one of the things that's happened in the church really over the end of the 20th century is that the love of the Father has been a revelation that we found. And so all of the fear and the guilt and perhaps judgment that at times the enemy has come in to dilute the Christian church, we found the love of God. We found the love of the Father. We found the grace of Jesus. We found that. And it was incredible. We've also found that many of the things that we thought we had to work for are already ours because of Jesus. So we don't have to try to be a child of God because in Jesus Christ, we get our inheritance because he's the son of God. God becomes our father and we are children of God. Does this make sense? So I I can try, I can roll up my sleeves, but I, I am a child of God I've received that. It's already happened to me because I received Jesus. Does this make sense? When I say, Lord, please love me, I realize that he already loves me because I'm in Christ. It's something that's already happened. And I suddenly discover it when I become his. Now, it's the same with holiness. When when we gave our lives to Jesus... The sacrifice once and for all to pay for every single sin, not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world, that's 1 John 2 verse 3, became a covering over our lives. And that forgave us our sins, washed us clean, and we became holy in his sight. Our status before God became clean, righteous, pure, and holy. This is why the New Testament writes not to the sinners at Corinth, not to the sinners at Galatia, not to the sinners at Ephesus, but to the saints. The the writers of those letters are calling out who they have become in him. But because we live in the 21st century, where we're told constantly by the world that we're amazing, where we hate boundaries where, we don't, where, where we've, we've been fed a narrative that we don't have to work hard anymore and we're entitled to everything. Like, I, I used to work as a chaplain in a secondary school on the South Coast and almost every assembly was, you can be everything you want to be. Everyone wins. And I was like, I used to sit there and think, Everybody's loved, but not everybody gets to be all that they want. Not everybody can be prime minister all at the same time. Not everybody can be chairman of the board all at the same time. There's a nobility to serve. (laughs) You know, some people have to be postmen. Otherwise, none of us will find out anything that's going on. Some Some of us have to, you know, bear children. You know, some of us have to you know, be a cleaner. And there's a nobility in working with all our might or whatever's in front of us before the Lord. Does this make sense? 
And because we've got this going on, at times the church has resisted striving to be holy. Now, I don't mean striving to win his approval, but crucifying the flesh and not allowing the ways of the world or our old desires that were crucified with Christ to be allowed into who we are. That's the distortion of the gospel. So what happens when when Peter says, you shall be holy because I am holy, quoting the Lord, he's saying, this has happened to you in your status, but now it's time to rise up into that status and become who you already are. Let me put it another way. On the 3rd of June, 2002, at 1.59 p.m., I was a single man. And by about quarter past three, I was a husband. My molecules and my body didn't change, but my status before God and before my bride and before the congregation and before the registry who would receive the certificate that my status changed. I became a husband. Now, it wasn't like, fantastic, great, that's me done. Because this year, I'd have been a husband for 20 years. Yay! My status changed, and then I have the joy of exploring everything that means and growing into who I have become. Does this make sense? You shall be holy because I am holy. Our status changes in Christ, but then in the world, he calls us to live out and become who we have become. (laughs) If that makes sense. To become who we already are. And the reality is, is that those outside the church get this revelation more than we do. Because... Every time the church is hypocritical or divided or reflects exactly the same as culture, culture says to the church, it rolls its eyes and it says, yeah, you're nothing like the rest of us. And our witness is shredded and eroded in the sight of the world. Why why would you worship a God that makes no difference to your lives? And it kills us every time. And that is not our calling. We're called to be one holy Catholic and apostolic church in preparation for our bridegroom who's going to receive us, not looking right and left at various lovers, not harloting our souls to another thing, but giving ourselves with sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ, him and him alone. Paul says, how that happens in Ephesians 5, is through the washing of water by the word. We're being discipled by the world. By, we just are, and I'm not being anti-culture or anti-the world, because we're called into the world, but we're called not to be of the world. Think about Jesus for a minute. Someone who never sinned, who was holiness personified, And he was so full of the beauty of holiness that even the tax collectors and sinners loved having him around. Even the prostitutes sought him out. His holiness was so powerful, even a woman with an issue with blood just had to touch his coat. And just the 
the, the presence, the pure, holy, powerful presence of God flowed out of him and made her well and made her clean. And he made sure that everybody found out about it and she could be included again. In order to make her holy, verse 26 of Ephesians 5, with the washing of water by the word. This is where if you are a Christian, then we submit our lives to what the Bible says and not what the news websites say with a dedication and a zeal because this is where we learn the ways of God so that they can be put into practice in our, in our lives as we discipline our minds to be ready for action. Who here is reading Bible in a Year with the Bible Project like we put out? This is not a name and shame session. <laughs> well, Genesis is awesome, isn't it? Once you work out how on earth they have multiple wives and whatever. <laughs> Genesis is a lesson in the grace of God, is what I would say. But I tell you what, when I read my Bible, I pray before I do, Lord, I submit myself to you because your ways are higher than my ways. So I might not understand it at the moment, but I submit myself to learn who you are, that who you are might be manifest in my life. I'll come back to that in a moment. Think about this for a moment. The characteristic of God in the Old Testament, he says, I am holy. And we struggle to define holiness because it basically is a term reserved for God. Set apart, other, pure, righteous, like all these descriptors for who he is. But think about who God is. He's love, he's purity, he's life, he's He's a saviour, he's redeemer, he's shepherd, he's deliverer, he's provider, he's healer. He's, he, he's all these things. So when we say, when the Lord says, I am holy, be holy because I am holy. He's saying, who I am, which we say is incredible. He's saying, I want you to be like me. So, so the kindest thing that God could want for us is that we are like him because he is life. So when he says, be holy because I am holy, it's in his kindness that he would desire that our character begins to reflect his character. It's not just about stay away from bad stuff. He's saying stay away from bad stuff because it, it doesn't even come a million miles near who I am, which is life forevermore. Je Jesus puts it like this in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the road. Most people despise it. Most people think you're crazy. Most people resist you if you're pressing into the Lord for holiness. But narrow, because it's narrow. Narrow is the way. It doesn't look sexy. It's not on Instagram. It's like Narrow is the road where someone gets up early before the kids wake up to seek the Lord. Narrow is the road where someone fasts Stuff of the world, not to please God, but just to, to discover more of who he is. Narrow is the way that says, I'm going to read this until I become like it. Narrow is the road, says Jesus, that leads to what? Everlasting life, life, waves of life crashing in on our hearts here in this life and forevermore. Narrow is the road that leads, leads there. Only because we have to die first 
But that's where we get the good stuff, the resurrection life. But you can't get the resurrection life without dying first. Otherwise, it's not resurrection life. (laughs) Because you're not being raised again. (laughs) And so narrow is the road where we die to ourselves. It's all right, everyone. (laughs) So let's skip forward in in chapter um, 12 of 2 Corinthians and see having through chapter 11 and into into chapter 12, Paul gives his credentials. Let's see how he finishes it off and allow the Lord to just speak to our hearts. 2 Corinthians 12, I'm going to pick up um, halfway through verse 19. We're speaking in Christ before God. Everything we do, beloved, is for the sake of building you up. I'm afraid to say this is not a sexy, attractive, lots of lovely analogies type talk, but this is what I believe is going on. Let me put it like this. I think there's two types of churches that are emerging um, post-COVID. There's the church who is built on Jesus Christ and his word, and there's the church which is harlotted to the world. And I make no apology for that, harlotted to the world, which will not last and will be rejected by Jesus. Everything we do, beloved, is for the sake of building you up. For I fear that when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish. And let's just allow the Holy Spirit to put his finger on anything within our hearts. I fear there may perhaps be quarreling, jealousy, anger, Selfishness, slander, gossip, pride, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and that I may have to mourn over many who previously sinned and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and licentiousness that they have practiced. That is the word of the Lord. No, no, I'm just, you imagine the grief in Jesus' heart. We have our attention on a thousand gods a lot of the time. And he wants tunnel vision devotion. Not a drivenness to please, you know, to try and win his affection. We've won his affection, but a sincere and pure devotion in response to him. That says, it's my joy. It's my joy to die to myself because I find you. Jesus taught what the kingdom's like. It's like the pearl of great price that a merchant sold all he had to obtain that pearl. You can't have Jesus and a bunch of other things. You just can't. And he wants us single-eyed for him and him alone. And that's where I'm going. I don't know where you're going. And this is, you know, we, we've said many times we're a shame-free church. If any of us are caught up in stuff, the great news is we have the tools shared with us by Jesus to break the power of sin. But the gospel is not say a prayer and then live like everybody else in West Sussex and then hope that Jesus just rescues us one day. That is not the gospel. The gospel is He's laid his life down. 
that as we lay our lives down, we find real life, eternal life, resurrection life, and we can become the people we were always meant to be in him, shining radiantly the beauty, purity, majesty of Jesus. You know, sometimes people say, we need more power in the church. We'd have more power in the church if we didn't have a divided heart. Because I'll tell you what's a terrifying thing is an adulterous heart with loads of power. (laughs) That's a terrifying prospect because we can't live up to what he's called us to. But what he's calling us to, folks, is a purity and a beauty and a holiness that allows us to shine a different light into our day and age. I was helping... Um, somebody just before Christmas um, who's in the process of coming to know Jesus. And honestly, I was struck again. I was like, how do you even live without the Lord? I mean, it's just chaos after chaos after chaos after chaos. And we have something different in him. But where we let another thing into our lives, it gives access for the enemy to condemn us. And then suddenly, what we found in him suddenly doesn't feel quite as good because we're compromised here, there, and everywhere. And 1 John, as we read last term, (laughs) Beloved, I'm writing these things, chapter 2, verse 1, that you may not sin. He doesn't want us to have sin in our lives because then we get to shine like Jesus. And we'll talk a lot in our church about the kingdom Jesus wants us to be like him. We want to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons. And we do. But Paul says in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And he's calling us to be like Jesus, to be like his son. Beloved, I'm writing these things, 1 John 2, verse 1, that you may not sin. But guys, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So if we fall over, then we come back to him. And we mourn over how we fell over because we broke his heart. And then we receive his healing for whatever in our hearts came out with dysfunction. And then we say, I'm going to run with you, Jesus because I'm preparing my life, because I'm going to be the prepared bride for my bridegroom. I'm going to finish with these words from 1 Peter, and I'm going to flick on from chapter 1 to verse 2. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. I'm going to put this in a we rather than a you. But we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. Why is holiness so important? In order that we may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. When we're compromised, suddenly the amazing way that he called us out of the miry clay gets tainted and we're like, ah, ah, you know, And suddenly we take our eyes off the fact that he's our saviour. He's the only one who can save us. He's the only one who can redeem us. The only one who can heal our hearts. We become a holy nation to proclaim the fact that he's called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. 
Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we've not received mercy, but now we've received mercy. So, beloved, let us be washed by the water of his word. Let us come away from worldly thinking, our ignorant desires. Let's call one another on to a higher height. Let's, let's be a people who are just, our culture is we're passionate about holiness because we're passionate to have the best and the best is being like him because he's the best. <laughs> holiness isn't a, a sterile, rigid, horrible, dour, you know, dogmatism. Holiness is, is the character of God becoming my character. So let's have a culture where we call one another on, which is in our culture because revival starts with me. And if we're to see God's kingdom come, and if we're to see his will being done, it starts with us so that we can spring forth and say, do you know what God did? He set me free from this. He's given me a thought life from this. You know, our culture doesn't believe that self-control exists any longer. It doesn't. So we're having to build all these systems around confirming people's bad stuff to say, no, that's okay, that's okay, that's okay. No, we can come away from that. There's freedom. And the best thing is to come away from that because you're going to find life and life forevermore. What's that? That's him. I think... I told you this is not an entertainment message. And this is not creating a situation that makes us seek to try and please God for his pleasure. But this is catching his heart, standing at the altar, longing for a bride who has eyes for him and nothing else or no one else. That we can just get ready and be prepared for him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together. I just want to lead us in a transaction and then hand over to Paddy. We want no, nothing concealed in our hearts, don't we? There is no sin or thought pattern beyond the redemption of Jesus Christ. We seem to have lost the sight of that. When Jesus said the power of sin, he didn't say, apart from that generation in the 21st century who would find it far too difficult. <laughs> no. We sometimes think we're kind of like the only people to have suddenly discovered that following Jesus requires utter self-sacrifice. But when that happens, we find life forevermore. So I just want to very simply say, you fill in the blanks in your own heart. You say whatever it is that would pull your heart away from Jesus. You just say now in your heart to Jesus himself as if he was standing before you, which he is because he's amongst us. You just say, Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry. Today's the day that ends. Set me free by the power of your blood. I repent and I turn away.
fresh mercy on my life, Lord, please. Make me clean. Every part of me. Make me holy. Make me yours. May I say with an undivided heart, I am my beloved's and he is mine. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command all uncleanness, every sin, every attaching demonic spirit, be gone from this church, be gone from our lives, in the name of Jesus Christ. I command you, get out. We forbid you. We say, we expel you from our lives by the authority of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. And Holy Spirit, would you come now, today, tomorrow, and replace everything that we've made room for. Bring us the mind of Christ again. Bring us the beauty and purity of his presence. May we be the pure in heart who see God. May we be the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness and are filled. May we be citizens of the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Fill our lives, we pray. And all God's people said together.